Boy, it is so good to be here. I appreciate the prayers of the church. I have to say it's not often that a pastor asks me such a question as Rondi did today. What can we pray for? Um, I, I'm, I think of Ken, especially at Iron Mountain. Iron Mountain is a church 29 years old, and I don't know where to put this mask. How's this? Does that work? Does that look good? Okay. Can't say the pulpit was unmasked today. But, uh, but at any rate, uh, Ken was the founding pastor of that church 29 years ago, and it's been my privilege to know him a long while there at Iron Mountain. And because of a diagnosis he received recently, he has, he has said now's the time, and he, he has retired. This is their first Sunday without a pastor in 29 years. And I say that, Ronnie, to suggest that you two should stay here 29 years. Uh, you, you knew I was headed up, up for that, so I really appreciate your pastor, his family, and I appreciate, I appreciate you as a church because you are partners in ministry uh, with all of our churches across the state and 26 churches here in the southern part of the state that I, I have the privilege of working with. You actually contribute to student ministry that we've just prayed for. You contribute financially uh, to, to uh, the ministries that we perform, and I'm grateful for uh, Living Hope Church. So today, I want to say uh, the text of our sermon is from the book of Exodus. That's the second book of the Bible, not too hard to find. It's right after Genesis. And if you go there, uh, you'll see that um, um, in chapter 34, there are three verses that we're going to read in, in just a few moments, verses 5 through 7. Uh, before I read it, let me just say I'm inspired this first Sunday of the year to talk about God's glorious goodness. You know, your pastor is pretty bright. I've already bragged on him a little bit, but I, I look back at my notes and I discovered that he talked me into driving over here last January, first Sunday of the year, too. I didn't, I didn't remember that, but it's true. I've already made a note for next year, okay? That, that'd be three years running. So, no, seriously, it's great to be here grateful for that. But this first Sunday of this new year, I want to talk about the glorious goodness of God. There's nothing that you should regard as more infinite than the goodness of God. There's nothing that you should regard as more, more complete, more fundamental to your own personal story than the glorious goodness of God. I'm indebted to Dane Ortland, who's written a little book called Gentle and Lowly. It's a great little book, and he has helped me in the study of this particular passage. A little background on it. In Exodus 34, what we see here when we read in a moment is that God is revealing his glory, and he's doing it at the request of Moses. He's a pretty nervy fellow, you know, but that's the way it worked, and and. And as we read in a moment, we'll see that God has placed Moses in the cleft of a rock to protect him. And what follows in the verses 5 through 7 today is probably the most stunning scene in all the Old Testament. Think of that. Meditate on this as I read Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, 
The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Let's pray again before I go on to preach. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would that you would speak to us through your scripture today, through this this wonderful passage in the book of Exodus, Lord. We we pray that you would touch our hearts. Father, I pray that you'd speak not so much through me as through your Holy Spirit to the needs of each person here. Um, for some, maybe the need to come to salvation, to a commitment to Christ. To others, maybe the need today to be encouraged and to face the future with optimism. Father, we just pray today that as we, as we preach and as we worship, that you would be glorified and that we would see your goodness as the best thing about you. That we would see your goodness as we've never seen it before in our lives. And if that would be so, Lord, our lives would be changed. And we would praise you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago, I led a team of prayer warriors to Tibet. And while in Tibet, we hired passage to the Gandan Monastery, a Buddhist community 14,000 feet up in the mighty Himalayas. At Gandan, um, there's a lot to see there. It's pretty surreal, and truthfully, there's a lot of it I don't really talk about, except to say that it is indeed behind enemy lines. But at Gandan... Um, we went there as a prayer team, and we learned that, that that monastery way up on the mountain had been established in the year 1409, as we reckon the calendar here in the West. And in its heyday, there were over 5,000 Buddhist monks there, and the community that surrounded them, it, it would qualify as a decent-sized town in Wyoming, on the top of a 14,000-foot mountain. To this very day, there aren't as many there as there once were, but to this very day, clamoring for its alleged spiritual benefits, Tibetans from all over make a pilgrimage to that monastery, and while they're there, they take a punishing trail, a trek, around that monastery and around the top of that mountain, it's called the Korah, the Korah, and this torturous trail has been walked for 600 years now by countless numbers of Tibetans. My team was there prayer walking, and we prayer walked that same lung-bursting trail praying for the Tibetans to turn to Christ. Well, I say all that to say... On the Korah, there at Gandan, where we went around the mountain, there's an exposure of rock high up on a windswept slope. And that, that rock protrudes from the mountain, and, and there's a, a renowned fissure in that rock right in the middle of it. 
and generation after generation of Tibetans have gone there and squeezed through that narrow passage in the rock. They believe that this pilgrimage to that rock is, is a contribution to their merit, their good karma, if you will. And after 600 years of this going on, that rough rock is polished like marble by the friction of yak wool clothing and the oil of human hands. I also should tell you that rock will barely let a well-fed American pass through. Okay? Moses. Moses, too, had had a, a mountain, a mountain momentous. It, it was a mountain of spiritual significance, and that's where we find ourselves in the book of Exodus as we're reading this today. Moses went up this, this mountain at the direction of Yahweh. He went up there and he met God. He went up there and he received the Ten Commandments. And, and there's quite a conversation and quite a, quite a meeting goes on there. The background of the text that I've read a few moments ago talks about Moses asking God to show him his glory. An amazing thing. Amazing thing. And this the Lord agrees to do. And you needn't turn there, but if you went back into the latter part of the previous chapter, chapter 33, you would see God's answer to Moses. You would see God say, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you until I have passed. And that latter bit is to protect Moses because to see the face of God is to be the end of days for a person. They cannot survive. We cannot survive seeing the face of God. And anytime I read about Moses, anytime I, I look at this passage about Moses in the cleft of the rock protected by God, I think of that futile rock squeeze in Tibet. How good it is, thankfully, that we have God's glorious goodness rather than a rock to provide us a way to be brought home to our maker and to eternal life in him. Three things I want to look at today, three things I hope you will cherish as we look at Moses seeking to behold God's glory. The first point I would say today is simply this. God's glory is revealed in his goodness even more than in his power. Now, I don't know about you. What do you think of when you think of God's glory? I, I tend to go immediately to, to God's power, God's creative power. I think about how he, he carved the flaming gorge just not many miles from here, how, how that went into the Grand Canyon and drip by drip over immense time, God carved that canyon. That's power. I think of God's power when I think about, and maybe you, you, surely you've seen it too. If you haven't, you should arrange to go out some clear, cold night and see the Milky Way spilled across the Wyoming sky, billions of stars. God spoke with power. He spoke this universe into existence. 
just Christmas Day. Okay, I'm a nerd. I have to get this in. Christmas Day, the James Webb Space Telescope was launched. Opens a whole new era of discovery for us. This magnificent telescope is going to make it possible to see more of our universe than we've ever seen before. We're going to have to think in terms of seeing not just across distance, but across time. That's how big this universe is. That's how big is our God who spun this universe off his fingertips. Power. God's power. It's immense. It's amazing. And yet when Moses asked God to show him his glory, what does God do? What happens? God answers that request and says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. Now that's interesting. Is God's goodness even greater than his power? Well, apparently it is. That's what God said. That's what the Word says. That's the report of Moses. God arranges to put Moses in a cleft, a crack in the rock, lest he be vaporized by God's glory. And then the first words from God's mouth, the first word God says, speak of his compassion and grace. Again, in verse, verse 6 of Exodus 34, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. I hope you let that soak into your heart. Just as the universe is bigger than the eye can see, more immense than the, than the brain can comprehend, so is the goodness of God immense and beyond our comprehension. Moses, Moses asked for glory. He wanted a demonstration of God, how powerful he is. But instead of that, God gives him his highest glory as goodness. We sang about that a little earlier. That was really good music. The revelation of how big God is begins with compassion and grace. He sees our situation, and he will minister to us and provide for us and meet us at the point of our deepest needs. That's the goodness of God. You know the goodness of God? It's greater even than his power. Second point, it becomes obvious to us as we look at this and consider this prayerfully and in the, in the, the, the clarity of the Holy Spirit that when we think of, of God's glory and his goodness, we'll find that it's even greater than his authority. We think of God's power and it's immense. And then we think of God's authority, that's immense too, but his goodness is greater. Now, you know, when we think about anybody in this world who's glorious, anybody who's uh, of renown, we're usually thinking of name, title, and rank. I saw in the news, maybe you did yesterday, that in North Korea they celebrated the 10th anniversary of the, let's just call it a dictatorship, of Kim Jong-un over North Korea. He gave a big speech. 
As is often true with dictators, the state media of North Korea gives him some pretty fancy titles. He is called by state media the respected supreme leader comrade Kim Jong-un. And sometimes he's given more honorific titles like brilliant comrade, shining sun, S-U-N, of the 21st century. Well, that's pretty pretty strong stuff, isn't it? Maybe slightly exaggerated. But don't we do that sometimes? You can't hardly go out to eat in Green River or Rock Springs right now without seeing a, a little sign on the door. And all over Wyoming, I'm seeing this, there are establishments looking to hire underwater ceramic technicians. That's a dishwasher, for those of you who don't know. Yeah, grandiose title. Might, might be glorious, but it may or may not be deserved. So, when Moses, when Moses asked God to show him his glory, God says, I will proclaim my name in your presence. So, what does he say? What would Moses have anticipated? I mean, what does God call himself? The thundering eternal ruler of all? The maker and destroyer of worlds? No. Although he could. He could claim that and a whole lot more for himself, but he doesn't. And verse 6 continues there. As God passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and glorious a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's what he says. That's the name he gives himself. If anybody's entitled to a grandiose name, bristling with authority, far surpassing Kim Jong-un, far surpassing anyone in the flesh, it would be Almighty God, surely. Yet Moses asked to see his glory, a panorama of his authority, and God proclaims that he is glorious because he's a God slow to anger. He's a God quick to love and that there is no expiration date on those things that he shows toward us. I hope that you know God's goodness far exceeds his power, far exceeds even his authority. And a third thing we should look at, God's glory is revealed in his goodness even more than in his judgment. More than in his judgment. Well, when we talk about God's power, we can talk about that rather objectively, almost theoretically. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a function of a conversation, you know, an analysis maybe. And then when we turn to, as I have secondly, to talk about God's authority, that, that maybe makes us squirm a little bit. Not only is God powerful, yes, I see that. He also has authority all over all he's made, which, you know, that includes me too. 
And then when we turn to the third idea of God's goodness being greater than his judgment, we find that a conversation about judgment begins to to really get personal. And it should. It should make us look within a bit. Now, I, I have to tell you the truth. I'm like a lot of people. I like a gee whiz vision of grandeur. I, I want to read about what that telescope finds someday. Those entertain the brain, but they leave the heart alone, don't they? Wow, that's awesome. Cool. What's next? You want to know how awesome something is, especially if at the end of it all we're still allowed to walk away. But folks, God's goodness is such that you can't walk away from God. You can't do it. If you grasp his goodness in all of his glory, you will have to deal with God. And I, I'm, I'm going to just speak real frankly here. There is something subliminal. There's, there, there's something ancient in our fallen heart. that is suspicious of God. Deep down in our natural fallen state, we're wary of God because we know what he can do to us. And you know, we, we so often talk about life like it's a meritocracy. You get what you deserve. Work hard, it pays off. Be lazy and you get what you get. You know, we, we talk about life like it's a meritocracy, and yet many of us, maybe you, you know deep down you've been favored, blessed, far beyond what you could possibly deserve by your own merit. You can't believe how good you got it. You can start by being born in America, for those of you that were. That's a blessing. I'll take you back to Tibet if you don't believe that. How many blessings we have, blessings we've not merited, and, and, and it can get to the point where we begin to wonder if it's some cosmic mistake. Was God looking the other way when blessings were passed out and I got a double or triple share of it? Am I about to be found out? Is it all going to come crashing down? There is a deep shame in the human heart. A shame, a sense of vulnerability before God. It's interesting to me that we think we know how God is instinctively. And a lot of what we think is that God is a God of judgment. need to hear Moses today. You need to hear the report. You need to hear the firsthand statements of God in Exodus 34 because it tells us a different story. When dynamite ages, it can be very volatile, very 
unstable, dangerously so. It's made of nitroglycerin, among other things, after all. And old dynamite can get to the point where it's, it's very sensitive to friction or shock. You know, we think of shock when you drop your phone. You don't have a phone case on it. Well, that phone case is supposed to make it solid from a one-foot drop to a six-foot drop. You know, that's shock and friction we're familiar with. Any of that sort of stuff around old dynamite is a pretty, pretty good way to blow yourself to kingdom come. You have to be careful around that stuff. If you're ever cleaning out an old shed at your grandpa's house or something and you come across dynamite, you don't touch it. The best thing to do is call the bomb squad and let them deal with it. That's dynamite. Have you come to the stage in your life where you wonder when God is going to absolutely blow up all over you? Is that sort of the, the dark cloud in the back of your mind? That's the instinct that a lot of us have about God. And it's a, it's a wrong instinct. It's erroneous. But you may feel like God's been patient with you. And he has. And, and, and yet, after all these years, knowing his claim on your life, knowing his goodness, you have remained unrepentant. And you think that maybe the time's about up. Maybe you're about to hit that tripwire of judgment at long last. I know you have these kinds of thoughts. And I know it. Because I have them too when I'm at my worst. You think it's too late to mend your ways. You think you have it coming. You know you deserve judgment. And indeed we do. But dear friend, listen to the scripture today. Moses Asked to see the glory of God. And God gives his business card to Moses in verse 7. And here's what he says. He says he is a God maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And isn't it interesting that we get hung up on those last words? Judgment to the third and fourth generation? Well, that's not equitable. That's not fair. That's not even justice, we might tell ourselves in that same worst day kind of instinct about God that I've just described. But we're missing the bigger point. He says for thousands, he has nothing but love, and forgiveness, thousands, and that might just as well read thousands of generations. That's precisely what Deuteronomy says in the next book. Chapter 7, verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. 
So how long is a generation, folks? We think of 25 years. We think of, we think of four generations in a century. So 10,000 generations, that's 25,000 years. But we bristle and get ourselves all psyched up about judgment to the third and fourth generation. Well, I don't like that either, but I've seen it. I've seen one man's alcoholism be passed down, at least a propensity to it, to several generations and a host of other sins that we might struggle with. But we need to hear the good news. We need to hear the goodness of God. A thousand generations, 25,000 years of love and forgiveness is what God shows when Moses says, show me your glory. Don't refuse God's love as if it's too late because it's not. It's not too late. It's perfectly time to accept his love. If you still have one breath in your body, it's not too late. The judgment for sin is real. And anything less would not be kindness. It would be anarchy. God would be irrelevant if he didn't have judgment on sin. But his heart is forgiveness. His heart is love. And it is his heart to have given us Jesus Christ, his son. And so our sin and the judgment on it sits on his shoulder. Moses in his day asked to see the glory of God. And God showed him his goodness. And in our day and in these last generations, God has shown us his goodness in Jesus. It is in Jesus who is mighty to save. That's all he's interested in. If you want the goodness of God in your life, you want Jesus. So whatever power you think of when you think of God, his compassion for you is greater still. Whatever authority you think of when you think of God, his love for you is greater still. Whatever judgment you think, whatever judgment you think about when you think of God as he relates to your life, know this, his forgiveness toward you is greater than that judgment. See the glorious goodness of God and come home to him. Come to Jesus. And if you're a believer, as most of you are surely today, come to Jesus and rest in his goodness as you come to this new year. This new year of faithfulness, of service, of worship in church. The glorious 